Turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3, a passage that we've looked at a number of times. I've got a couple of particular announcements in this chapter that I want to zero in on today. Notice beginning in verse 1, the second epistle, Beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, and of the commandment of us the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this, one day, of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But as long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved? Now, I'd say that's real global warming. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. By the way, you could shut down every factory today, stop every gas-guzzling car, close down all the coal plants, and this is still going to happen. Not going to stop that. And by the way, this isn't happening because of the coal plants, because of the cars, because of the factories, or because of the cows. It's not the reason. All right. Getting kind of excited about it over there. Great. So, nevertheless, we, according to his promise... Look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. I want to preach tonight, today on defeating ignorance. Ignorance. You know, there are a lot of people who've got complete educations. I mean, they have been to school. They have been to elementary school, and they've been to high school, and they have been to college, and they, they've even gotten further degrees, but there's still a lot of things that they're ignorant about. Now, it's one thing to be ignorant about something. It's another thing to be willingly ignorant about some things. 
as we read in this particular passage, for instance, in verse 4, uh, or verse 5, he says, And for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water. There are a lot of people with advanced degrees who are willingly ignorant of God's truth. And we shouldn't be ignorant. Now, there are a lot of things that people are ignorant of. I confess to you, I get a little confused when I sit down at a banquet someplace or a meal someplace and there are three forks sitting there. I'm not really sure what that third fork is for. I may have read it, it may have been taught to me someplace, but I have forgotten what that third fork is for. Now maybe it has something to do with the fact the other day we were out at Outback and we were eating and I dropped one of my forks. I figured that's why they gave me two. I mean, they looked at me, white hair and everything, and figured he's kind of clumsy. His hand shakes a little bit. He might need that extra fork. And so that, maybe that's why they put it. I don't know. There's things like that I might be ignorant of. I, I'm not really sure what the proper etiquette is for eating corn on the cob. I guarantee you there's a different etiquette for eating fried chicken up in Michigan than what it is in Alabama. Isn't that right? Just different. Now, so I know one, I should know both since I'm from Michigan, but I wasn't paying attention back then. But here we are in the so-called buckle of the Bible belt. And it is amazing how ignorant people are of Bible truth. Now, they think they know everything. Some people, because they've read a Bible or read about a Bible, they think they understand the Bible when they don't understand anything. There are several things that the Bible says, for instance, that lost people are ignorant of. According to Acts 17, 23, Scripture says, and they worship idols ignorantly. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17, he tells us that they walk in wickedness ignorantly. You know, there's a lot of wicked mess that goes on in this country, and it's all because they're just ignorant. Now, for some people, they're just they are reprobate in their mind, but for other people, they're just totally ignorant of what's right. According to 1 Peter 1.14, it speaks of the former lust of our ignorance. In Romans 10.3, said the Jews were ignorant of God's righteousness. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5, they were willingly ignorant of God's creation and of the flood. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3 tells us that they sin because of the ignorance of unbelief. Man, now that's a lot of ignorance right there. And yet the scripture says in Acts chapter 17 beginning in verse 30, in the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. It's amazing how ignorant people are of the repentance that is due God. Of course, these are things that most of the saved are not ignorant of, and they shouldn't be if they believe their Bible and if they've read their Bible and just decided to believe what God said in His Word. It's amazing to me how many people don't read their Bible because, and they'll use an excuse like this. They say, well, but there's so many different interpretations. Forget the interpretations. What does it say? Whatever it says, that's what it means. God didn't write the Bible to confuse us. If he wanted us to stay confused, all he had to do was say nothing. 
He wrote the Bible to reveal things, even about the second coming of Christ. In this particular passage, he talks about ignorance, especially concerning the matter of the last days, so that we should not be ignorant. You remember in Acts chapter 1, you've got Jesus ascending up into heaven. And you've got the disciples watching as Jesus assembled up. And the angels spoke to the apostles that were there and said, Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. He's coming back just like he left. Now, we look at that, and a lot of people look at that and say, but he hasn't returned yet. It's been almost 2,000 years. Three times in the last chapter of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, the Lord Jesus Christ says, behold, I come quickly. Now, to us, 2,000 years doesn't sound very quick. But that's because we don't understand some things about God. We're ignorant of some things about God. The book of Isaiah, God said, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Our finite minds become confused when we think of an infinite, almighty God. Sadly, the last two generations of America, when they think of gods, they think of the gods of the Marvel Universe. And all that is is just a caricature of the wickedness of man when he has more power than he ought to have. We're not talking about man here. We're talking about God. The world may not understand it, but there's no reason for us not to. Sometimes we confuse the fact that some last things are going to be hidden from us. God's not told us everything. Bible says the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law, Deuteronomy 29, 29. So I want you to notice with me, he's saying he does not want us ignorant, first of all, concerning the weight. Back here in verse 5, uh, let's go to verse 4, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. For this they willingly are ignorant of. And then you go to verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now concerning this wait for Jesus to come back. You study the scripture, the Bible does not tell us exactly what year Jesus ascended up into heaven. But let's just approximate the time. Now, obviously, I'm just picking a time. Some would say 27 AD or, uh, let's see, uh, BC. Uh, Not BC, but uh, common era, CE. There you go. I'll get my alphabet right here in just a moment. Uh, some say uh, 27, some say, no, I think it's closer to 30. Some would they say 33 or even 34. But now think about that for a moment. Let's just take 30 AD. If that was the year that Jesus, after his death, burial, and resurrection, ascended up into heaven. Here we are in 19, I'm sorry, we're in 2024. That means that 1994 years have passed. Now, if one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years of a day as a day, we have not even completed two days yet. 
Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. Now he reminds us of a truth that had already been revealed. Over in Psalm 90 in verse 4, he said, For a thousand years in thy sight are as but yesterday. Now, if that be the case, two days have not yet passed. Now, some people have looked at prophecy, and this is where people get in trouble trying to predict when Jesus is coming back. First of all, God said that none of us know. We can't know. We're not going to know. When he comes back, he's coming back as a thief in the night. But there are some who still think that somehow they can figure it out. And some have said, well, all right, if a thousand years is one day, they'll take like the book of Hosea. And they'll go to Hosea 6.2 where it says, after two days will he revive us in the third day. He will raise us up and we shall live in his sight. Well, that would mean then he's going to come after two days. We're not even two full days yet. And sometime in the third day is when he's coming back, which again simply lets us know you don't know when he's coming back. But who says that he went by our years? Could it be the years of the Jewish calendar? I don't know, and I don't care. I just know he's coming back. He told us we can't know. Jesus said we can't know. We're not going to know. We just know that he's coming, and he is coming quickly. Now, some prophecy preachers find a connection to this in the seven days of creation. Uh, for instance, if one day with the Lord is, is a thousand years, then you think about it, the Old Testament would cover from uh, would cover four thousand years, from four thousand BC on up to the coming of Christ. And you've got two thousand years or two days of the church age. And that would coincide then with the millennial kingdom, which is the thousand-year reign of Christ. That would be in the seventh day. You say, wow, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, and it's probably also false. You can't prove anything by that. Because God doesn't say we're to trust him. We're to trust his word. And if he says he's coming back, he's coming back. I don't care how long it's been. Jesus Christ is returning. And whenever it is, it will be the right time, just like the scripture says of his first coming. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. And hallelujah, he did just that. So first of all, he doesn't want us ignorant concerning the wait for his coming. Secondly, concerning his promises. Look at verse 9 here in chapter 3. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, now look at this, not willing that any should perish. He says, according to his promises, he's not like men. He will fulfill all of his promises. Just like every prophecy you find in the Old Testament concerning the first coming of Jesus Christ, was fulfilled literally just exactly as it was given in the Old Testament. Even the city of his birth, Micah 5, 2, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Or in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, the prophecy that he would be born of a virgin. Guess what? He was born of a virgin, just exactly like God said. Or as God tells us back in Genesis chapter 49, 
that he would be coming from the tribe of Judah. And guess what tribe he came from? Judah, just exactly like God said. Prophecy after prophecy, even words that he spoke on the cross, written a thousand years before Jesus Christ came. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Exactly like God had given in the scripture. He always fulfills his word. When it comes to his promises, don't be ignorant. God's going to fulfill him. He's going to come back like he said he would. You remember when John the Baptist was thrown in prison. He's going to end up having his head chopped off. And John the Baptist, Jesus really refers to him in glowing terms. But now John the Baptist was a man. He was just a man like men here. But he believed God's word. But when he got down, he's thrown in prison. The crowds have basically left him. He sent a few of his disciples to Jesus. And they basically said to Jesus, are you, are you the one? Or should we wait for the one who's coming? And Jesus told those disciples, you go back and you tell John what you saw. How the lame were healed. How the blind were made to see. Why? Because the very works that Jesus did gave testimony as to who he was. He is the promised one. He is the anointed one. There is no doubt about that. The promises of God make it so. God always keeps his word. In Jeremiah, God promised Israel that they would be carried off for 70 years. And guess what? After 70 years of captivity... They were sent back into the land. Daniel promised the very time of the birth of Christ in Daniel chapter 9. That's how the Magi knew to look for his star that would appear. And they knew the time and they knew it, who it was. For they said when they went to Herod's palace, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They simply believed his promises. God keeps his promises. He tells us why he hasn't come back yet in verse 9. Now, here's the reason. You say, why hadn't Jesus returned yet? Here it is. The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What's his will? The more people get saved. Amen. That's his will. He wants to save more people. That is his desire. He does not want us ignorant concerning the weight. He does not want us ignorant concerning his promises. And he does not want us ignorant concerning his will. It's important you get that in verse 9. You notice it says, But as long suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish. God does not want anybody to go to hell. That's why he put his son on the cross of Calvary to die for everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins, to be buried, to be raised three days later from the dead. God's complete payment of the debt that we owe because of our sin, for the wages of sin is death. Why did he do all that? He doesn't want anybody to die and go to hell. There isn't anybody that Jesus didn't die for. He died for everybody 
He wants you to go to heaven. And you see, because we're sinners, we can't enter in like we are. I mean, I know you say, but preacher, I've joined the church. Join the church won't take you to heaven. But preacher, I've been baptized. Baptism can't take away your sins. Jesus died on the cross for you. Baptism won't do it. But preacher, I've, I've given my money to the poor. I've tried to help folks. I put money into the church and none of that stuff will get you one inch closer to heaven. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It's important that we have this straight and not be ignorant of his will. He wants everyone to be saved, but he doesn't make people get saved. You have to decide you want to be saved. You recognize that you need it, that you're lost as you are, and only he can save you. Now, God has done a number of things to give us a witness. For instance, according to Romans chapter 1, the Bible says that in creation, he has given us the witness of his eternal power in Godhead. You look at all that God has created, the magnificence of it. You say, preacher, you sound like you don't believe in evolution. Well, you may have come from a monkey, but I didn't. I mean, evolution is really one of the most ignorant things that that some people have come up with because they didn't want to believe in God. That somehow, somehow, billions of years ago, there was a little speck that got so condensed, so cramped, that the energy built up. Now, where that speck came from, they don't know. But it exploded. In the most massive explosion, out of that came all the worlds, all the stars, everything in the universe. You know, I've seen explosions. Explosions take things that are orderly and make them disorderly. Explosions take things that are dead or takes things that are alive and makes them dead. They don't take dead things and make them alive. And yet here are these really bright people that have been given a piece of paper that says they're really smart who think somehow all of life came out of a great explosion. Well, that doesn't even make sense. You take the three main evolutionary, and let me accent the word, theories. Each of them prove that the other two are impossible. I remember reading the story several years ago about a shoeshine boy over in the airport in Atlanta, Georgia. And he was shining a businessman's shoes. And the little boy said something about God. And the businessman said, well, boy, there, 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 there isn't any God. He said, you know, the, the shoeshine boy said, he said, sir, Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God, and you've done blabbed it out of your big mouth. <laughs> so man has the witness of creation. Not only that, man has the witness of conscience, according to Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. And man has the witness of the word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God 
and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Not only that, the lost world has the witness of the church. Now, please understand, when I say the church, I'm not talking about just a religious <coughs> gathering. When I say the word church, I'm talking about an assembly of born-again believers in the Word of God. Not everything that calls itself a church is a real church. Definition of church is given to us in the Scripture. I mean, it's amazing to me. You can, yeah, you can go and stand in your garage and write Ford on your head and go brum, brum, brum. You're still not going to be a car nor a Ford, even though you probably don't even run as well. As well. His will. He's not willing that any should perish. In the Old Testament... God did not wipe out the Canaanites right away. Now, why not? Well, what God says this, their cup of iniquity was not full. In Noah's day, when God had Noah building the ark, he didn't destroy people right away. He gave them a hundred years of witness through the building of the ark by Noah, the Bible says, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is by faith. He condemned the world in that they saw that a judgment was to fall. And Noah, who is called a preacher of righteousness, pronounced to them their sin and the judgment that was coming. And yet still they rejected God's word before he sent the flood. He said, my spirit will not always strive with man. You don't have forever to get saved. He wants you saved. But the only time you know that you've got is now. You better get it taken care of. That's why 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. It's why the scripture says, What is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Or Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Or Proverbs 29 and verse 1, He that being often reproved, hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. God doesn't want us ignorant concerning his, the weight, concerning his promises, concerning his will, and concerning his steadfastness. If you look at verse 10, notice it says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, into which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The day of the Lord will come. Now he tells us how it'll come, but I want you to get this. He says the day of the Lord will come. Now you have a lot of people running around today who are scared that that bottle of plastic that you've got there in your, for your water, that you've got in your refrigerator, is somehow going to end the world. No, that's not how it's going to happen. God's already told us how it's going to happen. I mean, they got you running around and, man, you're separating all your trash. And it's amazing how they're expecting the United States to pay for all this when we're not the big trash makers in this world. I mean, there are, Asian, there are Asian countries that have so much trash and plastic going down their rivers out into the oceans. You, you want to stop that stuff, stop it there. Have them stop doing it. But they're not going to do that because it's not about global warming. Do you understand that? 
What it is, it is about getting people's minds off a God of heaven that they're going to stand before an answer to. That's what it's about. They don't want to acknowledge God for who he is, but you can count on it. The day of the Lord will come. The Bible says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man. You see, all that God has said that will happen will happen exactly like he said. Isaiah 34, 16, Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. No one of these shall fail, none shall want her mate. From my mouth it hath commanded. He is steadfast and will fulfill everything that he has said. You've got God's word on it right here. And the Bible says this in Psalm 138, that he has magnified his word above his name. I remember the first time I read that, I thought, well, that's really interesting. I mean, God had already commanded man that he was not to take the name of the Lord God in vain. Now, how is it then that he can magnify his word above his name? And then it hit me. Because your name is only as good as your word. And God's word is perfect without error. So he does not want us ignorant concerning the weight, concerning his promise, concerning his will, concerning his steadfastness, and finally this. He doesn't want us to be ignorant concerning his work in us. Now I want you to get this. Look at verse 11. In verse 11 he says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness. So what should these truths do for us? Because of all these things that we've just said that we're not to be ignorant of, the weight, this promise, his will, his steadfastness, what, what should be our response to that? How should we live in the light of God's word on all of these things? A proper view of prophecy is right that would lead us to a proper lifestyle. For he says in verse 11, what manner of persons ought you to be? Notice this in all, what kind of conversation? Holiness. And what? Godliness. We are to be a holy people and a godly people because this is true. Romans 14, 12 declares, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Not only that, we ought to be looking for his coming. For he says in verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens shall be on fire and shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. We ought to be looking for the day that he comes back. As a matter of fact, you'll notice the next chapter in your Bible is 1 John chapter 1. We'll go to 1 John chapter 3, just a page or so over. And there the scripture says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, I love this, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. 
We're to be looking for his coming. And we are to be diligent in peace, spotless in walk, blameless in character. Look at verse 13. Nevertheless, we, back here in, uh, back here in 2 Peter chapter 3. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and without blemish. The truth that is coming is according to his time, his time, and not ours. God's already said it. He knows when it's going to be. We are to be looking for his coming. It is a sure thing. And God has told us that he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to be saved. I don't care who you are today. If you've not been born again, if you have not taken Jesus Christ as your personal Savior to trust only him, not trusting the church, not trusting your good works, not trusting a baptism, but putting your trust only in him to save you. If you've not done that, you could do it today. He'll not make you do it. He wants you to do it. Bible says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He wants you to be saved. He longs for you to be saved. And if you decide, no, you'll die lost and burn in a sinner's hell that God never wanted you to go to. Because you see, when he created us, he did not create a bunch of robots. He created man. And from the very beginning, man has had choices. Make the right choices, you get the right results. Don't make it. See, the truth is, God means what he says. You need to live like it. He means, by the way, he means what he says, whether you believe he means it or not. Bible says it's impossible for God to lie. You can count on it. I read a story about the World War I ace, Eddie Rickenbacker. Eddie Rickenbacker was born in 1890. He became back then a race car driver. Now, that was a time when they were reaching the dizzying speeds of 45 miles an hour around a track. Some people are going that by the time they hit the road down here. But, uh, so that doesn't, that doesn't shock us a whole lot. But World War I started, and he got interested in flying airplanes. He became... And the Medal of Honor recipient of World War I, having down more German aircraft in World War I than any other American flyer. As a matter of fact, he received a number of, uh, number of medals concerning that. And then he went into uh, as an automotive designer. Later, he became the head of Eastern Airlines. He had been on an ill-fated air expedition in the South Seas. They were preparing to depart the plane, but they were needing to keep the plane up in the air as long as possible. So he and those others that were on the airplane with him, they went through the plane, throwing everything out the door that they possibly could to lighten the weight in hopes that they could get to an island or something very, very close to an island where they could land it and live. After throwing everything out later after he survived all that, he said, staring at the face of death, if you ever think that the material things are worth anything, 
you have that experience of staring in the face of death and you'll find how useless all those things are no matter how much you may have cherished them. As a matter of fact, when it came to the Titanic, there were ladies, for instance, when the Titanic was going down, grabbed oranges and bits of food while they left $100,000 necklaces in their staterooms. Because you see, all this stuff of the world, that fire that we just read about, (laughs) they're all going to burn up. But I tell you, your soul is going to spend somewhere in heaven or hell for eternity. Whether it be by death or his coming, let nothing hinder you from living and looking for him. Just don't be ignorant about these most important things. He said, but people are so amazed at my teaching ability, at my great wealth of knowledge that I have. And that will burn in hell with you. If you die without Jesus Christ, don't be willingly ignorant. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And how I pray, dear God, you'd take the truth of your word, drive it home to every heart. For any here without Christ, may they understand today they could come to Jesus, have all their sins forgiven, have the free, wonderful gift of eternal life. It has nothing to do with how, what their IQ is, how rich they are, where they come from. They come to Jesus, sins forgiven, eternal life, and eternal home in heaven. I pray they come to Christ today. Now, Lord, you said because these things were true, it ought, it ought to have an impact on our life to be blameless, to live righteously, God, I pray that every Christian here would allow the Spirit of God to search out their heart and show them where their lives are not matching up with the Word of God and they decide to get right with you. You said if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Have your way now in every life. For I ask it in Jesus' name.